You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Relationship of all creation. This is the work of the Father established in the Son, administered by the Spirit. So what do we mean? We're going backwards to go forwards because depending on where you grew up, you may have been led to believe that the, 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 the testimony of the Scriptures begin in Genesis 3, which means that you are broken and evil and worthless and you continually mess things up and you need a God to help you get right. That maybe have been the story that you've grown with, but there are actually, there's actually another start to the scriptures. It's two chapters before Genesis 1. And it says this, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, as we go forward, I'm going to use Jesus and God interchangeably, uh, and that's because the scriptures do right? Uh, So Genesis 1 tells us that God created the earth. John 1 tells us that it was Jesus. It calls him the word. But then it says in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So Jesus and God, the spirit, they're all one and the same. And so when we talk about the beginning, there is a God who creates the heavens and the earth. And so it starts with this Hebrew poetry of a God who speaks things into existence, who calls forth beasts out of the ground, who, who places stars in the sky and puts the sun and moon and the celestial bodies into alignment, who sets boundaries for water and tells it where it can go. And then on top of all this, he takes this, this lush garden and he places it over the land. And so everything is full of life and harmony. And in the midst of this, he creates a man. Genesis uh, 1, it says this, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our very likeness. A little bit later um, in Genesis 2, it says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden. I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead here. That's not the verse I wanted. Uh, Genesis 2, it says that the Lord took the man and and he made him out of dirt and he breathed in him the breath of life. And then we learn that after God has made everything, the earth, creation, the diadem, man itself, he says, going back to Genesis 1, verse 26, or verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. That word there is called, it's it's tov meod in the Hebrew. Uh, it It is more than good. It is abundantly good. The Lord created everything that we know of in this world, and then he created what was the start of you and I, and he said, this is. (laughs) The implications for that are huge. Because it means that all things were made with intention. And if they're made with intention, then we should treat them with the respects that we give the works of a fine artist. Creation requires our love and appreciation. But not just that, so we also were made with intention, but unlike the rest of the world, we were also made with an investment because God took his very breath and he placed it within man. 
So we're all made with intention, but you're also made with an investment that God has imbued a part of himself in you. So if the master's work wasn't good enough, he's placed his very essence inside of you. So you carry a part of the master. You've risen so much above the dirt that crafts us. Do you know the imbued glory that you carry? And that's before you've said a word, before you've done a thing, before you've helped anyone, before you've been kind. You were beautiful and wonderfully made. And the spirit of the living God that created all things seeks his residence within your chest, (laughs) within your feet, even your pinky. So we're in this garden and everything works together. This series is called Lions and Lambs and we've been looking at it through a form of reconciliation, but there was a time where there was no reconciliation needed. When the lions and lambs were behaving as they should. Uh, if you were here last week, Ryan made this amazing point. It was so good. I, I, I really tell you to go listen to it, but he talked about a lion. And in our, in our teaching text, when God talks about his holy mountain, which is to come, he says that a lion learns to eat hay like an ox. And, and Ryan made the point to us that this is not him trying a new diet. You know, I've done dub-dub. It, it's... I... It's in the past tense. I couldn't keep going. It, just was, it was just not fitting this lifestyle. But what Brian told us is that, no, this wasn't trying a new diet. This was a returning to the way we were made to function. When we learn to eat hay. So what we see here in this garden is that we have true lions and lambs. In Genesis 2, verse 15, it says that the Lord, he took man and put him in the garden and he he called him to work and to take care of it. And then he tells the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, just not the one that's of good and evil. If you eat from that, you'll die. But everything else is good for you to eat. See, God is this lion. He has all the power. And he doesn't relate to his power and scorn as something to be hid. He takes pleasure in what he has made. But he doesn't leverage his power for his own needs. But he uses his power for the the flourishing and empowerment of others. This is what a lion looks like. The people themselves, they are lambs. Lambs are vulnerable. But true lambs are vulnerable but exists with a confidence and an agency, almost befitting a lion. Their vulnerability is not something to be guarded, to be locked away, to be carefully protected or watched for, but it is their strength by which they move in the world. Genesis says it like this, verse 25, chapter 2, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. To be naked and to feel no shame. I would say even the most confident of us look in the mirror 
And may, we may see a lot that we appreciate, but there's always that one thing. Imagine there not being the one thing. These lambs were vulnerable in their nakedness, but yet they were utterly confident. And so this is the, this is the thing we're moving back towards. Everything's working in harmony. The, the, the land is providing nourishment and plenishment for, for the man. The man is carefully cultivating it and watching over it. All God's animals are, are working in peace and in harmony. And he is amongst his people taking walks in a garden. It's a beautiful sight to behold. But it doesn't stay that way. There's a sad reversal. So if you're unfamiliar with the story, there's that one tree that he told them not to eat. Imagine, all the world you can eat. Just don't touch that tree. And yet, when told that this tree would make them like God, independent, self-sufficient, lacking in nothing, even though they had no lack or want. They couldn't resist. And so they took the fruit and they ate it. And lambs become the lions that we know today. And by this, I mean, man assumes the posture of a lion and he changes his diet. So the lion, so these, these new lions, they, they don't have a diet of dependency. They adopt a diet of self-sufficiency. See, if you're, if you're a lion that eats hay, to eat hay, well, that means you're kind of dependent upon the weather and the soil, the growing conditions that produces this, this vegetation that you're able to eat. It's not fully in your control. But if you don't eat hay and all you eat is the things around us, well, that doesn't require anything outside of yourself other than your capacity to kill. It is taking upon yourself your own sufficiency. I will find my food. I will not depend on that which grows outside of my control. And so these new lions arise and they begin to eat each other. The scriptures say they immediately sow fig trees, fig leaves together and cover themselves. Now they're hiding. There's no more confidence. When Jesus, when God comes and he asks him, what, where are you and what have you done? Well, the man starts blaming the woman. The woman starts blaming creation. Everybody's blaming God. We're in this vicious cycle. My wife uh, just recently got to go to uh, Nairobi on business. Uh, ironically, the first person in our family to make it to Africa. Uh, <laughs> but um, I don't know how that works out. Uh, <laughs> She's white, for those of you who don't know, so that's why it's um, <clears throat> But anyway, she, she went on this safari, and she came back, and she, and she told me this thing that I just found so interesting. It's a long way to go for a sermon illustration, but she holds me down. Um, <clears throat> so she's saying that as she's on this, this safari, that they tell the people, uh, where you see animals, where you see the, the, the antelope and where you see the zebra, you know that a lion isn't nearby. Because if he's nearby, all the other animals evacuate that place. Which means that wherever a lion goes, he's lonely. 
Wherever a lion goes, he lacks connectivity and connectedness. It's a move from community to isolation. I used to be naked in front of you, and now I have to hide from you. And this creates this grand debt. So not only have we broken community, but we, we, we broke everything. <laughs> because this whole thing was working through the harmony of creation. God giving to man, man giving to creation, creation giving to man, man giving to God. It was all working, and then we broke it with our, with our individualist needs. I wonder, have you ever felt washed in the cycle of disconnect? Do you know what it means to be a lion wandering alone? Maybe in an attempt to establish your own needs, you've devoured another in word or in deed, in your spirit towards them. Maybe even to yourself. Have you become isolated from yourself? Struggling to remember who you were and are. This was the cost of trying to become like God's. But also, in this reversal, we see this magnificent God, the lion, well, he, he becomes a lamb. He could have used his rightful power to start over. But instead, as we've journeyed, he starts this process of lament. And then he places boundaries between himself and these first people. Genesis 3.22 says this, And the Lord God said to man, The man has now become like one of us. The Lord God banished him from the garden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And so he puts the separation between himself because now man, man is not safe. Man will try to take God and use him for his pleasure, but God is worth too much for that. And so he places a boundary between himself and man. And there's an implication here as we talk about this process and this framework for reconciliation. We laid this out in a linear fashion, but any of you who've ever gone through conflict knows that these things don't happen linearly. It's a wash. You go back and forth. Some days, just to even start the process of examination, you need to set a boundary between yourself and the person that has harmed you. And sometimes when you've got good boundaries, they need to be re-examined. And so you've got to go back into examination. It isn't linear. I'm giving it to you linear just so you can kind of frame it, but we will interact with it in a dynamic way. Reconciliation is an ongoing process. It's a forward movement that leads us back. You see what I'm saying? So now there's this debt. <clears throat> Could you imagine, like, having walked into Leonardo da Vinci's workshop and accidentally, like, knocked over the Mona Lisa. 
What do we do? So, we've talked about this. We've talked about debts. And the thing about debts is every debt has to be paid. In fact, every debt is paid, whether it's by the person that caused the debt, whether it's assumed by the person that receives the debt, or whether it's by a third party who pays the debt. Somebody has to pay. And so God enters this journey of receiving payment for this debt that man has caused. And this is this process of moving towards forgiveness. So he puts man on a payment plan. We call this the law. So he says, you do bad and you'll pay me back by these sacrifices and these offerings. The problem is man keeps defaulting. Which goes like, God, didn't you know? Like, you kind of know. We all got that friend. You're not getting that money back. (laughs) She's not giving you that shirt back. Like, you know. So then why lend it out at all? Why go through this rigmarole if you know they weren't good for it? Well, we get a little bit if we skip ahead to Galatians where Paul says, he asks this very question, why was the law given at all? It was added because of the transgressions until the seed who was promised referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to the mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we may be justified by faith. That may be a little hard to understand. So let me just say, let me kind of bring it down. What Paul is essentially saying is that this was a stopgap. It was this, God is showing us that we were incapable of paying this debt. Because remember, the debt is us trying to be self-sufficient. And so if we can be self-sufficient, then we could have taken care of this debt on our own. But he's trying to show you, you're not good for it. You can't actually do this. You can't go at it alone. No man is an island. You were made for connectedness. So would you stop? Yet man tries and tries and tries again. And there's a point here because we're talking about like Adam and Eve, these people, you know, these first people, thousands. You're like, what does that got to do with me? Okay? Maybe you don't buy this concept that like, why should I, even if this were true, these, these first people and this God, why would I carry this debt? Paul, again, our friend in Romans 3, he says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sights by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Have we not contributed to the broken connectivity of this world? Have we not been agents of disconnectedness? I know I have. Do you know the cascading effects of the debt of self-sufficiency? Maybe you've been watching this news and I'm not even going to try to explain crypto. (laughs) All I know is a lot of people gave a 30-year-old billions of dollars <laughs> and found out that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> and then a lot of people are reassessing. <laughs> and it's having all these ripples across markets. That's the thing with debt. It, it, it causes ripples. 
you don't pay me and I can't pay them and they can't pay them and then everybody is scrambling. When we try to go it alone, it just creates more and more debts because it's just not how the world was made to work. Maybe you've seen this. So how do we get out of this mess? Who's going to pay the debt if man can't do it? Well, like in those verses we just talked about, Paul refers to the seed that was, that was promised. Throughout the scriptures in our text, uh, Isaiah 11, right before it, it talks about the root of Jesse, this, this stump. Out of the stump comes the this, this seed, this root. And all these prophecies were pointing to a man named Jesus. History, extra biblical history, tells us that Jesus was a real man, born in the first century, in Israel under Roman occupation. He was an itinerant preacher, but he claimed to be more than that. He claimed to be not just a man, but God. But first, he was a man, and that's a really interesting point. Paul tells us again as he's writing to this church in Philippians and, he, and he's telling them to be like Jesus and he, and he makes this point that Jesus was found in human form and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And so remember what I said before, Jesus is God, but he's also, he was just like us. He like had a brothers and sisters. His family second guessed him. In John, where Jesus is just starting his ministry, and he's in front of all these people, and and uh, and and they're like, "Wait, isn't that Jesus? That's like Joseph's son. I know that guy. Like we went to grade school together. He's just a regular man with this capacity and temptation to live a life of self-sufficiency." But instead, he lives a life completely dependent upon the Father. And he comes as this lamb, this true lamb again, who has all this power, but doesn't feel the need to use it. He stands before this, this, this judicial system that's putting him to death, right? Pilate, this guy comes in, he's, he's like the, the governor of this region, and, he, and, he, and he's demanding Jesus, if you're innocent, just say so, I will free you. To which Jesus is like, bro, I don't need your help. <laughs> I don't know what version that came from. That's <laughs> <laughs> how we say it where I came from. Um, hey, he's like, I don't need your help. If I wanted to, I could turn this whole thing on its head. But as a lamb, he has this confidence, but he's just vulnerable. He's vulnerable, even to the point of death. But he's not just a man, he's also God. That's what the scriptures are telling us. Remember, John 1, it says that he helped create the world. That it was by him that it was created. There's this part in the, in the scriptures in, in John 14 where Jesus is sitting with his disciples. And they're like, hey, master, would you just show us God the Father? And he's like, you dummies. Uh, he's like, don't you know 
I've been along you so time. If you've seen the Father, you've seen me. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're one and the same. This is the radical thing about Jesus. He claimed to not just be a man. He claimed to be God. Able to administer the forgiveness of the debt that had been occurred against God by all people. This is huge because it means that in this cosmic debt that's owed between man and God, Jesus is on both sides of the equation. And he pays the debt. As a man, he says, this is my debt. I am man. I will not participate in the cycle of brokenness, the cycle of self-sufficiency, but I will become fully dependent upon the Father, even so much that as when he's about to go to the cross, he's sweating blood. This is like a true lion nature. He has the power, and yet he's using that power to help endure the cross. One of the most horrific ways man has devised how to kill another. So all his power is used to endure. He's a lion and he's a lamb. And so when Jesus, who lived a perfect life of of God's sufficiency, when he chooses to die, to be put on a cross, to be murdered, and to be put into a tomb. And when he overcomes death, well, then the payment's been made. The check's been sent. The Venmo is hit. This allows for reconciliation. Remember how God put the people on a payment plan? So, they had like a central bank where they used to go pay it. Uh, we call it the temple. Uh, and in the part of this temple, there was this huge veil. Uh, and it was kind of like the vault. Like, it's where all the, the, the treasure was. God himself was in this, behind this veil. And so, and it's like, it's like the, the vault and it's the big door on it. And only, only those trusted with bringing the money out could go in and, and, and take it out from behind the veil. It was heavily guarded. And so, when Jesus dies, what the scripture tells us, I'll just let you read it, Matthew 27, 50, 51, when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit, and at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And what that symbolized was that now, it's a run on the bank, there's enough for everyone. This is now everyone's money and there's more than enough. So come and get your share as you need it. And you don't need anybody to go sign your slip and to check you out. You you are a bank owner. This is a community bank. Jesus savings and loans. (laughs) So come in, take what you need and pay what you owe and be found free and rich. There is no debt that you won't find enough in there to cover. So use it. Use it wisely. Don't get crazy. Use it wisely. But use it. 
You're free to be debt-free. Not just debt-free, to have enough money to never need debt again. This is what Jesus does in the cross if we hold these things to be true. He becomes sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. A free people. So a debt is satisfied and then notice is given. This is where we come back and this is where we end then on our reconciliation. Dependence. Whatever conflict you've gone through in your life, you've heard the saying, we forgive to forget. Oh, we all know that's not true. We can't forget. We forgive because we can't forget. And forgiveness, again, we keep going back. We've got to go back into the bank because often if you've, if you've undergone a harm, undergone a harm, you know that it, 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 grief recurs, it's cyclical. I had this really bad relationship when I was younger. Really threw me for a loop, man, it really spun me out. And so post that relationship, I had to find wholeness as a human again, just as a person. I, I, I had to find myself and put my feet on the ground distinct from this relationship, and the Lord brought me through that. And then when I started dating again, even though I was in a much healthier place, a lot of that stuff started coming back. And I had to work through it as a person who was dating. And then when I found this woman that I wanted to more than just date, that I wanted to marry, well, then I had to go through it again as like a married person undergoing this debt. I had to keep going back in the bank and be like, oh, well, found a new bill on that. But there was always more than enough to make me whole and continue to make me whole. This is dependency that we move from self-sufficiency. Tim Keller says that the chief cry of hell is, I am my own. How many of us in this city have screamed the same things in our hearts? I am my own. I don't need you. And yet we're chronically lonely. Desperate for connection. This is why we need Jesus. Because when we depend on him, he puts us back into alignment. It is the forward movement towards the former harmonious relationships of all things. We start again to look like that garden where we could be naked and unashamed. That's what it starts to look like. That in this place, as we become reconciled to one another, you can start bringing your stuff. And you can drop that heavy coat you've been carrying. And maybe take off your shoes. Eventually your socks. And if we mess around and really let the spirit get in this place, you know, who knows what else will come off. <laughs> and the next thing you know, we'll all be free before one another. And there won't be any shame. That's the day that is coming. This is why we depend on him, because it's step by step. 
day by day. I take two steps forwards and three steps back, then six steps forward and ten steps back. But continually he calls me forward. And he does this through his spirit. When we receive our status as free people, in return, the Lord gives us his spirit. So now you don't have to go. Remember the old people in that, in that, that savings alone, they had to go to a physical location, right? Like, like, um, like you imagine like the days where you had to pay a bill with a checkbook. Some of you may not remember that, but my grandmother used to like pull out this thing She'd like, at the end of the month, and she'd reconcile, and she had to like, you know, if she owed you something, she had to go write a check, right? Well, now we've got this like on our phone, and I'm just like, boop, 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 you know? Hit you up. By his spirit, he's freed us from having to go back and forth to something to find his love and what we need to carry through the day. But every day, we walk by the spirit, fully dependent upon him to meet every debt we incur along the way. I'll read this last thing. Paul says in Ephesians, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. And are you ready to walk in freedom, I wonder? Uh, the band can, can start making their way, but uh, I wonder if you would just take a second Maybe put both feet on the ground. If it's helpful, you can close your eyes. Uh, I don't know about you, but every now and then I, I pull up my, my, my phone and I open up the bank app and I just look at the account. I, I mean, there's money and I don't know where I think it's going to go, but I just want to make sure, you know. Uh, um, or I check, you know, I check the statements that are coming and I'm like, okay, what, what are the bills coming to? I wonder if you would just take a moment to kind of do an inventory. What debts are you carrying? What debts did you bring in with you today? Maybe it's the debt of conflict, something that's happened to you. Somebody has robbed from you and so now you're lacking. Maybe it's a debt you've incurred. You're overspent with your words or your actions on another. What debt are you carrying today? How heavy is it? How high is it? I made bad financial decisions when I was younger, and I remember a debt collector calling me and telling me like they were gonna come for me. And I just remember going to my car and crying because the debt just felt too heavy and I didn't know what to do. 
James Baldwin says, it is in this country so expensive to be a poor person. What is making you poor? Would you take stock of it? And then I would ask, how are you gonna pay this debt? Do you have what it takes to pay it? If you're honest. Can you, can you really write off what that person did to you? Can you ever repay what you've taken? Is what you got in the bank, is it enough to cover? And even if it is, is what's left enough to sustain you for the rest of your life? If the numbers aren't adding up, and if you feel yourself in debt right now, I wonder how it would feel to hear the good news that Jesus has paid every debt and that he has enough to take care of yours. All that stuff you just added up, he's got enough to cover it. He's got enough to meet you in what they stole. He's got more than enough. He's got enough to satisfy you so that you don't have to steal anymore. But it doesn't work if you don't cash the check. It doesn't work if you don't receive what he has to offer you. But if you will receive it, then he promises to give you his spirit so you don't have to live impoverished anymore. And so here is the invitation today. If you have never received your inheritance from the Lord, the sum capable of clearing all your debts, if You've never received it, but you would like to. If you'd like to set up an account today. Would you stand? There's nothing magical in standing. It's just a recognition. Yeah, sign me up. That sounds really good. And what that means then is we'll help you figure out the, the fine print. We'll help you walk through what it means to live in the richness of the king. So if you are under a debt today that you can't pay and you're willing to see if Jesus will make good on his word, then the offer and the invitation is to stand. And if it feels scary, just grab your neighbor. Make them stand too. They'll go along. It's fine.
And then if, if you, none of this is new to you, you have, you have signed up, you have, you have accepted Jesus' payment, and yet, even though you know that he, what he said, you've still been trying to swipe your own card, like your partners, like father who never lets you pay, like you just like have to pay the bill and you can't, you, you're accumulating more debt. If you know the love of Jesus, but today just need to, to commit yourself again to sufficiency on him, then I invite you, would you stand? take some courage and I honor that I'll tell you the truth you're among debtors so no shame in recognizing it but for those who are standing here's what I'm just going to invite you to do I'm going to have you just, there's this, this carpet over here to my left, some of your rights. Uh, would you just, would you just, when we go in a second, would you just make your way there? We just want to, we just want to pray over you a blessing of, of receiving from the Lord. I just, yeah, I just would invite you to just, to just make your way there and, and we'll meet you there, a member of our prayer team. We'd just love to just acknowledge you. And if there's a way that you need help, understanding, gosh, I've kind of lost my card. I've lost my way. Would you just let them know so we can start helping you get reconnected to the Lord? If that's you, you're going to move to that carpet. But everybody else, we're all going to stand together. I'm going to pray for us. You're going to move to that, that my left, that rug over there. You're going to move to my left. Yep, yep. And then on this right side, if you just need prayer for anything else, a debt, maybe you're, something you're holding, you can come to this right side, and we'd love to meet you there and pray for you as well. And then for the rest of us, it sounds like we're in a good place, and that's really great. There's nothing to be despised if, you're, if, you're help, if your account's healthy. That's a great thing. So then we, we give a testimony of praise. I got enough. Amen. You, maybe you need to go share a little with somebody. Make them full. So let's pray. We thank you, Lord, that you are a shepherd. You are Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Jehovah Ra'ah, our, our guide. Jehovah Nisi, our banner over us, which is love. You are Yahweh over all things, and you are Abba, Father, Emmanuel, the one near us. And all this we give you praise. Be with our brothers and sisters who are aware of their poverty. May they be overcome by your richness. And for all of us as we leave this place, may we do so leaning not on our own selves, but in all of our ways acknowledging you, that you may direct our paths. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus.